Chapter Three of Arcadia and Avernus by Will Lillibridge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Three: The Wonder of Prairie. Ichabod and Camilla selected their claim together. A fair day's drive it was from the little town, a half mile from the nearest neighbor, a Norwegian, without two score English words in his vocabulary. Level it was, as the surface of a lake or the plain of a railroad bed. Together, too, they chose the spot for their home. Camilla sobbed over the word, but she was soon dry-eyed and smiling again. Afterwards, side by side, they did much journeying to and from the nearest sawmill, each trip through a day and a night, thirty-odd miles away. The mill was a small, primitive affair almost lost in the straggling box elders and soft maples that bordered the muddy missouri producing amid noisy protestations the most despisable of all lumber on the face of the globe twisting creeping crawling cottonwood having the material on the spot ichabod built the house himself after a plan never before seen of man joint product of his and camilla's brains it took a month to complete and in the meantime, each night they threw their tired bodies on the brown earth, indifferent to the thin canvas, which alone was spread between them and the stars. Too utterly weary for immediate sleep, they listened to the sounds of animal life, wholly unfamiliar to ears urban-trained, as they stood out distinct by contrast with a silence otherwise absolute as the grave. The sharp bark of the coyote, near or far away. Soft as an echo, the gently cadenced tremolo of the prairie owl. To these, the mere opening numbers of the nightly concerts, the two exotics would listen wonderingly. Then, of a sudden, typical, indescribable, lonely as death, there would boom the cry which, as often as it was repeated, recalled to Ichabod's mind the words of the little man in the land office, loneliest sound on earth. The sound which, once heard, remains forever vivid, the night call of the prairie rooster. Even now, new and fascinating as it all was, at the last wailing cry the two occupants of the tent would reach out in the darkness until their hands met. Not till then would they sleep. In May, they finished and moved their few belongings into the odd little two-room house. True to instinct, Ichabod had built a fireplace, though looking in any direction until the earth met the sky, not a tree was visible. And Camilla had added a cozy reading corner, which soon developed into a sleeping corner, out-of-door occupations in sun and wind being insurmountable obstacles to mental effort. But what matter? One straggling little folio, the local newspaper, made its way into the corner each week, and that was all. They had cut themselves off from the world, deliberately, irrevocably. It was but natural that they should sleep. All dead things sleep. Month after month slipped by, and the first ripple of local excitement and curiosity born of their advent subsided. 
Ichabod knew nothing of farming, but to learn was simple. It needed only that he watch what his neighbors were doing, and proceed to do likewise. He learned soon to hold a breaking plow in the tough prairie sod, and to swear mightily when it balked at an unusually tough root. As well, he came to know the oily feel of flax as he scattered it by hand over the brown breaking. Later, he learned the smell of buckwheat blossoms and the delicate green coloring of sod corn, greener by contrast with its dark background. Nor was Camilla idle. The dresses she had brought with her, dainty creations of foreign make, soon gave way to domestic productions of gingham and print. In these, the long brown hands neatly gloved, she struggled with a tiny garden, becoming in ratio as past the weeks, warmer, browner, and healthier. Are you happy? asked Ichabod one day, observing her thus amid the fruits of her hands. Camilla hesitated. Catching her hand, Ichabod lifted her chin so that their eyes met. Tell me, are you happy? he repeated. Another pause, though her eyes did not falter. Happier than I ever thought to be. She touched his sleeve tenderly, but not completely so, for she was not looking at him now. For I love you, and, and, I'm a woman. They said no more, and though Ichabod went back to his team, it was not to work. For many minutes he stood motionless, a new problem of right and wrong throbbing in his brain. Fall came slowly, bringing the drowsy, hazy days of so-called Indian summer. It was the season of threshing, and all day long to the drowse of the air was added, near and afar, all pervading through the stillness the sleepy hum of the separator. Typical voice of the prairie was that busy drone, penetrating to the ears as the ubiquitous odor of the buffalo grass to the nostril, again bearing resemblance in that, once heard, memory would reproduce the sound until recollection was no more. Winter followed, and they, who had thought the earth quiet before, found it still now, indeed. Even the voice of the prairie chicken was hushed. Only the sharp knife-like cutting of spread wings told of a flock's passage at night. The level country, mottled white with occasional drifts, and brown from spots blown bare by the wind, stretched out seemingly interminable, until the line of earth and sky met. Idle, perforce, the two exotics would stand for hours in the sunshine of their open doorway, shading their eyes from the glare and looking out, out into the distance that was as yet only a name, and that the borrowed name of an Indian tribe. What a country, Camilla would say, struck each time anew with a never-ending wonder. Yes, what a country, Ichabod would echo, unconscious that he had repeated the same words in the same way a score of times before. In January, a blizzard settled upon them, and for two days and nights they took turns keeping the big kitchen stove red-hot. The West knows no such storms, now. 
man has not only changed the face of the earth, but, in so doing, has annihilated that terror of the past, the Dakota blizzard. In those days, though, it was very real, as Ichabod learned. He had prepared for winter by hauling a huge pile of cordwood and stacking it as a protection to windward, the full length of the little cabin, thinking the spot always accessible, but he had builded in ignorance. The snow first commenced falling in the afternoon. By the next morning, the tiny house was buried to the window sashes. Looking out, there could be seen but an indistinct slanting white wall, scarcely ten feet away, a screen through which the sunlight filtered dimly like the solemn haze of a church. The earth was not silent now. The falling of the sleet and snow was as the striking of fine shot, and the sound of the wind a steady, unceasing moan, resembling the sigh of a big dynamo at a distance. Slowly, inch by inch, during that day, the snow crept up the window panes until, before the coming of darkness without, it fell within. Flanked though they were on three sides, on the fourth side, unprotected, the cold penetrated bitterly. A cold no living thing could withstand without shelter. Then it was that Ichabod and Camilla feared to sleep, and that the long vigil began. By the next morning there was no light from the windows. The snow had drifted level with the eaves. Ichabod stood in the narrow window frame, and, lowering the glass from the top, beat a hole upward with a pole to admit air. Through the tunnel thus formed, there filtered the dull gray light of day, and at its end, obstructing, there stood revealed a slanting drab wall, a condensed, milky way. The storm was yet on, and he closed the window. To get outside for fuel that day was impossible, so with an axe, Ichabod chopped a hole through the wall into the big pile, and on wood, thus secured, sawed steadily in the tiny kitchen, while the kerosene lamp at his side sputtered, and the fire crackled in a silence, like that surrounding a hunted animal in its den. Many usual events had occurred in the lives of the wandering Ichabod and Camilla, which had been forgotten, but the memory of that day, the overwhelming, incontestable knowledge of the impotency of we restless, inconsequent man, they were never to forget. Tiny, tiny mortal, laughed the storm, to think you would combat nature, would defy her, the power of which I am but one of many, many manifestations, and it laughed again. The two prisoners, listening, their ears to the tunnel, heard the sound, and felt to the full its biting mockery. Next day the siege was raised, and the sun smiled as only the sun can smile upon miles and miles of dazzling snow crystals. Ichabod climbed out by way of the window route, and worked for hours with a shovel before he had a channel from the tiny submerged shanty to the light of day beyond. Then together he and Camilla stood side by side in the doorway, as they had done so many times before, looking about them at the boundless prairie, drifted in waves of snow 
like the sea, the wonder of it all, ever new, creeping over them. What a country, voiced Camilla. What a country, indeed, echoed Ichabod. Lonely and mysterious as death. Yes, as death, or life. End of chapter 3